All right, Landlording for Life listeners. This week, our episode is brought to us by our audiobook, Building an Efficient Property Management System. So go to chicago-realty-group.com, scroll to the very bottom of the page, and there you will find a link that says Listen Now, which will take you to the listenable.co page where you can listen to our chapter audiobook, Building an Efficient Property Management System, as well as subscribe to other listenable courses to help you build your wealth through real estate. Now on to this week's podcast. This is the Landlording for Life podcast, where landlords explore their success and stories of failure while building a foundation to improve upon. Here's your host, Sean Morrissey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Landlording for Life. As always, appreciate you tuning in with us this week on another great episode. So one topic I have been meaning to cover nearly all of 2021 is Airbnb investing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And the topic being why Airbnb investing works. So we have on the line with us today, a gentleman by the name of Lazaro Vento. He is the founder of Happy Travels Miami LLC. He's got a very successful Airbnb model. And I wanted to talk about towards the end of our conversation today, a little bit about uh, Turo and leveraging that model as well. Um, So Lazaro, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're here. We did it. Yeah, man. <laughs> almost to the end of 2021, right? Finally. Finally. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So like we do with all of our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're up to these days and, you know, what drove you to build wealth in real estate. Sure, sure, sure. So I've been uh, doing Airbnb for the last uh, seven years. I I started before, like uh, before it was actually cool to be an Airbnb host, like uh, nobody really knew what it was. Uh, I, I got into it, uh, it, you know, because of another business that failed, actually. So I uh, originally quit my job, uh, my corporate job, uh, to get into uh, the cigar industry. It's, uh, I'm Cuban, so I thought it'd be uh, a good industry to get into, and I was kind of into the cigar thing. So I, I quit my job, and I started a cigar shop and and that didn't go too well (laughs) i I, I wound up uh basically losing my entire life savings and uh you know nothing was going right Uh, but because i had that shop i actually met a guy that i i had my real estate license and he was one of my customers and he needed a place he was looking at moving from indiana he was looking for like an investment property in south florida and he kind of was throwing me a bone uh, so i could make a commission and i uh i helped him find this one place uh, that i thought was interesting but the neighborhood was kind of rough at that time and uh you know, I was, you know, we were having to pay the, the existing tenant money to move out. They had kind of trashed the place. So I was like, you know, uh, I, you know, I want to do this deal, but, you know, I got to be honest with you. Like the tenants that you're going to get here are going to be the same. And, and then I'm, he's like, well, I'm not planning to do the regular like tenant uh, uh, situation here. This was actually, it was a plex type of property. It was two uh, home lot uh, sold us, you know, one one folio number, and 
well, I'm, I'm not planning on doing regular tenants here. I mean, he's like, well, there's not a lot of Airbnbs here in Miami. So there was seven years ago. And I was like, well, what, what's Airbnb? And he kind of gave me the rundown. And back, you know, I was like, really? You're going to like, like have like people you don't know. They're going to rent like your space like that. And I, I couldn't really like understand the process, but he had, because he had been traveling, uh, you know, he comes from a pretty good family and he had traveled kind of the world and he was an early adapter to the Airbnb platform at that point. So he had, he had a lot of experience of how the, how it worked that he, and he, he saw that there was a, like a vacuum in the market in, in South Florida specifically. So he, he, he thought that it would do well. And I was like, well, that, I, I, that, that sounds like a good idea. If you're not going to do regular tenants yeah. in that neighborhood, then yeah, I think that, that that's pretty good. Uh, so I started, you know, he told me about it and I did a little research and uh, I, I came across an article uh, about this guy in New York that at that point he was like uh, early, early adapters on, on Airbnb. And he, this one person controlled 80% of all the Airbnbs in New York, one guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and it, the article was like how he, he actually got himself a little in wow. a bit of trouble okay. with the state because he, he just like kind of monopolized the industry over there. And it, he was making like a million dollars a year. And I was like, wow, a million dollars a year. I wonder how he did that. And I, I started kind of kicking around the numbers in my head. And I, you know, I kind of, you know, from speaking to my buddy Fred, I knew kind of that what the ROI would be. And I was like, man, if you could. If you could rent some a place like this, and this was before anybody talked talked about what arbitrage is and how that works, I was like, this will, will definitely uh, work well uh, if 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 you could rent yeah. rent a place and do that. Because I at that point my credit had gotten kind of jacked up, and uh, I couldn't buy. I, basically, I I was uh, yeah, kind of forced into doing arbitrage because I, I couldn't buy anything. Uh, and I I started doing a little searching. And in that neighborhood that we found that, that two family, there was a lot of uh, properties uh, that had like a, like a cottage or things like that that you could... Uh, do do the model so i finally i i found a spot that worked it was like twenty two hundred dollars a month uh in that neighborhood it, it, I, I didn't know it when i first started but it seemed like there was like maybe six or seven guys that were that owned a lot of the real estate in the neighborhood and i, I Get develop a relationship with one of them. Uh, I called, uh, you know, I tell a lot of people, you know, driving for dollars is one of the main ways to get properties in this business. You know, don't don't only rely on like the internet, you know, because uh, there's still a lot of individual landlords that still put signs in front of buildings and houses and things like that. And like this one fellow, I you know, I saw one of his signs and I called him and I really didn't have the money to rent the place, but I, you know, I figured I'll reach out to him and kind of, uh, you know, let him know who I was. And 
me and him on that phone call, we wound up uh, being on the phone for a little bit over an hour, kind of just shit chatting. And it turned out he was a big BMW fan, and so I, I am too. And we kind of uh, there was kind of a bond. So he, you know, he he was doing anything, and he decided he'd come out and meet me, and he'd show me the property. Even though, like we, he, I told him I wasn't ready, and he already had like a, a tenant that was renting the place from him. But we met, and you know, I kind of told him about the Airbnb model and what I was doing at the house right next door and how it was working out and he thought it was pretty interesting so he he kept my number and a couple weeks later something happened with his deal and he called me up and he gave me a shot of renting his place with no money down just uh, <laughs> you know he basically said you know it looks like you're going to be doing well in this thing if, if you're, you're you're already renting the one next door and you're you you're already cash flowing uh, if you can get me the first payment and in, you know, in a reasonable amount of time like uh, i'll give you the keys and uh, you can list it and, and did the same thing we furnished it uh, uh, fairly inexpensively and we put it on the platform and it, it rented right away so and one thing that that really intrigued them is because I I figured out like kind of another uh, like strategy to tell landlords is uh, that I would take care of like all small maintenance on the property. Uh, I, I and you know I I said well maybe that that would be like a good like thing to tell a landlord because on single family homes like this, you know that there's probably not a huge return and if they have to fix a bunch of stuff from the tenants, they're not going to make much of a return. So I had told them, you know, I'll take care of most of the maintenance and, uh, you know, and, and he was really happy about that. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's something that we still do to this day. We will cover up to like $400 uh, of work and to a, to a small landlord, uh, that that's a big deal because they don't have <laughs> they don't have to, you know. I'm using the property commercially, so I'm I'm factoring that into my my expense ratio over time. And you know, you're not you're not gonna spend money every month, but maybe once a year you'll probably drop four hundred dollars or something on a you know a broken AC or something. And, okay. And, okay. And so, uh, so let me let me ask you this. So at this point, I'm trying to get a feel for what your portfolio looks like. But are the majority of the properties that you Airbnb out ultimately ones in which you're leasing out um, rather than purchasing and then subleasing those to Airbnb clients? That is, that is correct. Like right now, ah, love it. Okay. My portfolio now is about 130 properties. Uh, the and it's mainly all arbitrage. I do own two of them now. Um, but it, it just the return on investment when you're doing arbitrage is just you know you don't have to put 10 percent down. You don't have to, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just like I could get into a lot of places without uh, that big upfront expense. And most of the time, the credit is not a factor or anything like that. Because when, when I first started this business, I you know I was down to uh, a 492 credit score or something. So I definitely, you know, I was able to get into a lot of places where they wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't run my credit. <laughs> yep, yep. Because it would be like that guy that I told you, just an individual landlord, that guy. 
turned out he owned like 80 different houses in that neighborhood and he wound up he, he kept giving me properties as he saw like he he, he got no maintenance calls from me and I, I had to keep the, the place looking good so every time he would drive by the lawn would be nice and, and you know I kept doing like little improvements like adding lights and stuff like that so he, he was real happy with us as tenants and you know most of his tenants didn't you know they, they didn't keep up his properties and they were always correcting him so anytime somebody moved out he would always uh, give me a call and like hey do you think this place will work for you and some of them would and uh, some of them wouldn't but it's like he i got like my first 10 deals from this one landlord oh i love that so it seems like what you're doing is you're focusing on landlords that may be like burned out based on their given location or the type of tenants they attract and you say hey listen i'll provide a lot less headache and at the la- and at the same time you're able to keep enough you know meat on the bone so that you've got plenty of cash flow of your own coming in um is that is that fair to say yes that is fair to say and that, that was that, that was how our initial portfolio kind of uh started out and it gave us enough uh like a, a base and a base of revenue that we could then uh go after bigger deals with like nicer like well now what i specialize is more in like uh buildings and uh, like an entire like my biggest deal we, we leased a 52 unit building a brand wow. new unit. Okay. So, uh, you know, but like nobody's going to give you a deal that big unless you have some kind of track record. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these these smaller landlords were like our, our path to doing those, uh, those bigger deals. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And you build that track record along the way. So at this point, how are you going about determining what kind of market you want to be in for Airbnb investing? Is it does it depend like street by street or are you actually choosing different cities throughout the U.S.? Well, right now I'm, I'm actually in Miami, West Palm Beach, and now we're in Tampa. Uh, you know, those are the three markets that I'm in. Next, I'm going to Texas, uh, and I and I I look at the trends on the on the on the platform. What uh, what cities have a lot of action? Uh, like West Palm Beach was an interesting city, like. Uh, because there's not a lot of Airbnbs in the city. It's kind of like Miami was a long time ago. So anything you put up gets gets rented fairly quickly. Uh, Miami is a little bit harder market because there's a lot more hosts. And, and, you know, today there's a lot more hosts. So it's a much more competitive game. Yeah. And Tampa, on the other hand, there's, there's you know, it's kind of the middle of the road. And there's a lot of newer buildings. And the rental rates are much lower for 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 better quality buildings in Tampa and here the the, the travelers tend to to rent for longer periods of, of time so it helps our uh, our operation tremendously because we don't have to clean the places as much. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. So you you really do you try to target travelers that are staying at least a week or preferably a month or? Yeah, here in Tampa, that's what we're what we're focusing on. Uh, you know, just uh, I'll give you like an example. Like one of the buildings we got is close to a hospital. That's one of the things that we're trying to see. Like originally, we thought we could, you know, 
attract nurses and things like that. But this building's a little bit higher end, so like the, the price point was just a little bit more than the average nurse could afford. Uh, you know, the traveling nurse. But then it turned out that uh, all of a sudden, like we got ourselves uh, some transplant patients that, that were that needed a places to stay, ah. and it like. Uh, once we got one, like that person kind of referred us to the like coordinator and that this transplant coordination for that hospital. And all of a sudden we're getting a lot of like, let's say you needed to get a kidney transplant. And those are really long stays, like three months or so. And you, you, they wind up needing two rooms because usually there'll be like a, a donor that needs a place to stay and have the person. Because yeah, they need to be, there's like a lot of appointments after the fact. Uh, you know, they have to keep an eye on them. And that hospital's fairly famous for those type of transplants. So okay. a big percentage of our business comes from that. And, you know, you get higher nightly rates on stuff like that because uh, most of the expenses being covered by their insurance company and they're not that price conscious when uh, they're looking for some place that's comfortable, that the whole family could be there and uh, they could be close to the hospital for their appointment. Uh, yeah, I love it, man. What a great, what a great niche, and it seems like you've really focused down to, you know, your example there is focusing on hospitals that excel at, at transplants with the idea that they've got clients that are going to be there for a few months, and that helps with your turnover while maintaining your cash flow. Um, so let, let's talk about, um, I guess, pricing a little bit and how it pertains to cash flow, and you know, in particular, I'm wondering how do you go about developing a pricing model. For any particular location, is there a few websites you might recommend, or is it is it just done on your own? You know, there's a lot of websites out there that give you a a uh, kind of a guide. But the best way, if you really want to learn pricing in any particular city, like what I always tell students that are in my mentorship, is you go on Airbnb and start looking for clusters, like in, in your city, like where's your clusters of listings, and then you're gonna. Like right away, you'll see that there'll be a few people that have multiple listings, mm-hmm. and then you can drill down deep and see, you know, how how how. And this is information anybody could pull up. How deep their calendar is booked, like just by looking at their availability. And you see a guy that has a lot of reviews and the calendar is booked uh, a month or two in the future. That's a good area, and that's a good place. That's a good place to start. To then realize what your nightly rate should be. It should be somewhere around what this person is charging, especially if you see like two or three people kind of in a similar situation. Uh, then you know that there's a market, and you'll like you'll see. Okay, so he's uh, his average is two hundred a night, and it looks like he's ninety two percent booked. Uh, uh, you know, and he's booked like half. And like in the future, over the next two months, he's halfway sold already. So that's that's a good uh, uh, booking traction. So, oh, so, I like yeah. that. Yeah. And then you can basically build your model out and say you can forecast this kind of revenue over so many months. And with that in mind, this is what your holding cost is going to be. And then you got to factor in things like cleaning costs. You had mentioned repairs. Uh, but the next part of that, too, is I'm wondering how you determine what kind of standard your particular location should be at. Meaning, you know, I've stayed at Airbnbs where I'm like, boy, this is clearly a cut above any local hotel or motel or anything of that nature. And then I've been at somewhere, um, you know, really in like uh, Europe where in ultimately it's just putting a roof over your head right on the basis of location. So I'm wondering, how do you determine 
what kind of amenities and what kind of style your place should have on the on the basis of of the location itself? Well, I mean, I I stick to like again more a corporate housing type model now, so it, it has to be a little bit better than a hotel. So you you, you know all my places you have to, they're set up so you. Just like your house, and it's gonna have everything you need to cook, everything you need to stay there, more than a couple nights, you know. And, and I, I use nicer furniture. I don't go super high end, uh, but I, I use the nicer furniture that I know is gonna be durable and it's gonna. And do, do you lease or do you own that furniture? I own all my furniture. Okay. So, uh, usually, I buy some stuff uh, through IKEA. And some other stuff that I know lasts long. That I, you know, there's certain brands that I buy through Amazon, and you know they they once you know the the the, the, the actual pieces that you know last a long time and and you kind of mix that with some ikea pieces to give it a little bit of pop and some nice art and that, that's how you get the, the look that you want which is a modern bright look because uh, one thing i i do notice is like let's say especially like let's say places like orlando or tampa uh, so there's been people who have been doing like corporate housing here for a long time they they're uh they're their model is like their furniture is all dark and brown and you know all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I come, I come from from South Florida, so my stuff is a little brighter and stuff like that. And it, it seems to catch the the customer's attention, especially in in the photography. Yeah, that's a great point. Keep it light, keep it bright. Modern, bright look is what you'd expressed. And then you had mentioned, you know, like to buy some brands via Amazon that you like and then mix it in with some Ikea pieces to make it pop a little, which I, it seems like you've got that strategy down. And then all you're doing is you're recreating that strategy. Uh, I'm sorry, not recreating it, but you're ultimately using that same strategy from property to property to property, right? So it becomes, it becomes a system. Yeah, standardization. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like right now, we're actually uh, speaking, and I'm in one of our units that we're we're setting up, and everything is standardized. So we the TVs, the couches, the the mattresses, everything is standardized. So we we know when, we, when before we arrive here that a lot of the stuff already got here from uh, Amazon, and then the, the things that we bought at that. At IKEA, we have a couple guys loading them into the units, and uh, we use uh, guys from TaskRabbit to build everything out. So, yes, you know, a whole lot of time. You know, the last thing in the world you want to do is spend a lot of time uh, building furniture yourself. No, that's a great point. And TaskRabbit, that's a great tool you mentioned there. I, I tried it a few times. It's going back a few years and I kind of forgot about it. But if you're looking for quick projects to get done with local help in the area, that's ultimately looking to, you know, basically local freelancers, um, you know, they'll knock it out for you and away you go. And that's that's the key. Like uh, those local freelancers, like that, it, it works well. And I'll tell you another secret is uh, what, what we always wind up doing when we come to a new city. We, we'll get Task Rabbit, and we, you know, we'll try a few of them. And you know, all of a sudden there'll be a person that just they do a good job, and they 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 they, they give us the quality we want. A lot of times you could hire that freelancer directly, and then you get better deals, especially if you're giving them bulk work like we do. There you go. So, yeah, it's kind of like you test drive them on TaskRabbit. Then if you like them, you just keep their contact information and contact them directly, I suppose. 
exactly. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's a good one. So let's let's pull in that string of automating the process because I think that's really been the struggle for me for getting into Airbnb investing is ultimately I'm a buy and hold investor. I like my one and two year leases and I like it because I'm like, boy, I don't have to clean that apartment every day or every weekend. Um, and also because I've always questioned what kind of arbitrage I'm going to find between a monthly rental rate and a daily rental rate. So, you know, it's, it's always been a fuzzy area for me. So if I can automate ultimately that that basically compresses my cost and there's some profit margin there. So I'm wondering what, what recommendations might you have for our listeners when it comes to automating their Airbnb investing process? Well, one of the main keys is automation, automating your guest relations, right? Like uh, the number of, like if, if we didn't have an automation tool, you like, you'll spend your whole day answering phone calls. Yeah. Yep, yep. So we use something called it's it was called Smart BNB, but now it's called Hospitable, and that's AI tool that plugs in right to Airbnb, and it'll handle all like like you set it up. There's some front end setup where you set up all the questions that you want that you get asked like, hey, what's my parking space? And, and you can tailor it to each particular property. And then every time somebody asks that question, the system just replies and they think they're speaking to a person. Love so it. It's a it's a great time saver. Plus, it, you know, it, it drips out messages too. And so it keeps the, you know, interaction. Uh, people feel that you're communicating well because you're giving them a, a lot of stuff. And... Uh, it feels natural because when you ask a question and, you know, you set it up with like a two minute delay or something, all of a sudden they feel like, they, you know, the host answered me. Yep, yep. <laughs> Immediately, virtually. Immediately. Or, yeah. Like two minutes, you know, wow, these, these people are on top of their game, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's hospitable. Um, which used to be called um, Smart BNB. That is correct. Okay, awesome. What about when it comes to like just like the cleaning or turnover process? Any automations there you'd recommend or well, systems? Well, the system that we use to uh, to uh, take care of our turnover process is our it's what they call a channel managing software, and what that actually does it you know it puts all your listings into one uh, centralized calendar. And from there, you could really, uh, you know, create lists for your, for your housekeeping team or everything else right through one system. Got it. Okay. Channel managing software where basically you're funneling all your listings and their activity into one calendar. Um, is there any particular channel managing software you might recommend to our listeners? The one that I use is it's called Octorate. And Octorate okay. – it's great because most of these channel managing softwares, you know, they want to charge you a percentage of your revenue. And I don't want to give for to a software percentage of these guys are, are good. They charge you like 10 bucks to listing or something. And, you know, you can just keep adding uh, to your portfolio over time. Okay. Awesome. Any other particular tools or software that I have not brought up that you think might be useful for the listeners at all, just to, to get them started? Well, we talked about hospitable. We talked about smart B and B. Uh, another great uh, tool that we use is uh, Minute. Minute is a, a, a noise detection software. Ah, uh, uh, yes. We use that in all our properties, and the way that works, it it no, it doesn't record sound, but it 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 takes, measures it, decibels. It measures decibels. Yes. And once you have it set up. Uh, 
let's say, uh, maximum 75 decibels sustained. Uh, you know, usually that would mean the loud, loud music. It also counts the number of cell phones. So uh, you could kind of dig in deep and say, okay, look, there's six cell phones and they're being loud. Uh, you know, maybe there's something going on there. It's time to give them a call. And that, that keeps you in, good, in the good graces of a lot of the buildings because, uh, you know, if, if your people are just roaming wild and causing problems in the building, uh, you're not going to last there very long. And the other thing is the word gets out. Like let's say there's a building that uh, young kids, you know, college kids start booking and they, they see that there's no no oversight. They tell their friends, oh, you know, on Saturday, this Party. is a party building. Exactly. Yeah. But if they book a place and they like 20 minutes into it, they get a phone call. They're, they're going to tell their friends, oh, they're trying to book. And they're, oh, don't book there. That Those guys are on top of their business. Uh, they move on to the next one. <laughs> no, that's that's a brilliant idea. Minute was the name of that, that software. And, you know, I found a similar app that I've pushed along to my tenants so that when they call and say, hey, there's parties going on at 2 a.m. with my neighbor that lives above me, I'll say, well, download this app. You know, in essence, record the decibel level, and now I've got something to go off of rather than just some random complaint. So that uh, that noise detection stuff, I feel, is really groundbreaking for uh, landlords and and Airbnb investors. That's that's good stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's it's a great tool, and you know, we've broken up many a party like that was good. Yeah started because of that software you know we had one that was gonna you know it was gonna be a pretty big party and uh like four weeks ago and all of a sudden we get the noise and they're like oh there's nothing going on and i'm like you know you're at the top of the mark there's no way there's nothing going on uh no no nothing going on here so we we, we drove up to the unit and wouldn't you know it there was 20 cars in front of the house mm, there you, go. <laughs> you know i'm like well we're, we're calling the cops and you're, yeah, you're you know over Party's over, but imagine if you didn't have that, your party, your house would have been trashed. We we got there 15 minutes into the party starting, so it gave us enough uh, enough time to protect our, our unit and protect the neighborhood. You don't want you know to inconvenience the rest of your neighbors because some some moron wants to <laughs> yeah, a some kid wants to have a party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Well, let me let me ask you this next question, which is kind of the flip side of Airbnb investing, or, or at least the challenges I see in it. Right now, and, and number one being, you know, at a local level, how uh, you know local villages, municipalities might be cracking down on Airbnbs, and I'm wondering if you could expand on that, um, if you could, if the, if there's been any kind of pushback well, in, they, in the markets you've invested in. Well, early on, I mean, in Miami, there was uh, an early ban, and you know, because in Miami it was such an became such an important market for Airbnb, they started. Like, uh, you know, I was part of it. We we went to a lot of town hall meetings and stuff like that. And part of it, uh, they actually, uh, in one of the meetings, they uh, they said they were going to come after anybody who spoke at the meeting, I remember. And then it became a First Amendment issue. They wow. hired, hired a, uh, a powerful attorneys and stuff like that, you know, you know, because they, basically they want to silence your right to free speech if you're going to go after you if you've spoken us in a town hall meeting. So, uh, you know, so when Airbnb, uh, we gave them a little bit of pushback and they, they kind of stopped and it all came down to tax revenue for the city of Miami or, uh, and Airbnb 
got into some kind of compact with them where they would t- uh, collect and remit the same taxes the hotels do. And that was enough to, uh, like, stop the city of Miami in particular from uh, from going ha- harassing hosts or going after them. Now, in the okay. city of Miami Beach, uh, because there's a lot more hotels, the whole, city, that, well, the whole city is a whole bunch of hotels. And that's basically what's there. They... Uh, the fines, they were giving people $100,000 fines for doing Airbnb in that city. Oh, my so, goodness. And so, uh, you know, and, and they came up with another compact where there's only like a small section of the, of the city that you could you could legally do Airbnb or other than that. And you can't even list it on the platform. The Airbnb platform won't even let you list the property. So there's, you know, there's different regulations in different parts of the country and towns. And as long as you stay within them, you, you could say you could definitely host uh, uh, safely and freely. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where I think it's important for all listeners to know that they should explore their own municipality before moving forward, just to make sure that there's nothing on the horizon that can hurt them. Um, so yeah, we'll want to keep that in mind. So let me ask you this. If you were to start all over again in the Airbnb investing world, what do you think you would change at this point? What would you do differently? Well, you know, there is one thing I would, uh, you know, I would have done early on, and it has to do with company structure. It's one thing in the beginning, I, I, I didn't understand how, you know, important to have your your company set up correctly from the get go, and that by not doing that, I actually opened myself up to liability early on, and I wound up getting sued uh, a few years back because some of my leases were actually signed by me as a per, you know, personally, and not in my company name and when some stuff went bad in some old leases i wound up uh, being dragged into the lawsuit person personally where, where i could actually have hid behind the corporate bail if, if i had uh, <laughs> if i had the proper corporate structure since the beginning so i teach a lot of people you know that's like one of the very first lessons in my in my course is you know set up your 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 company and your your, your structure right from the beginning that way uh, you you protect yourself from from liability and then when you're signing, are you actually signing now as the agent for XYZ LLC or something? Yes. That nature? Okay. Yes. Okay. So, that, so that's a uh, good that lesson learned. That protects me. You know, it protects my personal credit. It protects a lot of things because, you know, like any business transaction, some things go, uh, go sideways and you want to protect yourself as a person. And, you know, that's why you have an LLC to, uh, to act as a buffer. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So, Lazaro, I guess uh, let us know the best way for our listeners to reach out to you if they're interested in learning more from you, learning about your mentorship program, and uh, more just more about the Airbnb model in general. Well, the best ways to reach me is at Brickle Cigars uh, on Instagram. Uh, that's where I, you know, all my my uh, free content is there. I interact with with all my students through there, and that's where you you could you know first of all see if the you know the mentorship is for you, or if my course is for you. All that information is there, and then you could join and and, and be part of my mentorship and my and my turnkey Airbnb program where uh, I set up an Airbnb and you get you get it uh, fully furnished and ready to go. Uh, you know, basically a turnkey opportunity to to get started in the business without uh, doing the physical work of finding it and furnishing it. Cool, man. Yeah. So the turnkey Airbnb program. And then you'd mentioned Brickle Cigars. Do you mind spelling that? 
sure. It's B-R-I-C-K-E-L-L-C-I-G-A-R-S on Instagram, Brickle Cigars. If you, or if you Google my name, Lazaro Bento, that, that comes right up. Uh, you know, you could... Uh, you know, connect with me there. You'll see a lot of informative videos, a lot of content about what we do every day. I love it, man. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I would love to expand on, but we're going to run out of time today is you're also a Arturo investor. You find arbitrage between, uh, I, I would take it purchasing cars and then renting them out via Turo. Is that something you teach on as well? Yeah. 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 So a lot oh, of my man. students. So we'll, we'll have to have you back to talk about that. That's always fascinated me. <laughs> yeah, the, the Toro business is fun. I mean, you, you imagine you get yourself a nice vehicle, yeah. put it on the platform, and the very worst case scenario, you, you break even and have a nice car. So <laughs> it's, uh, Can't beat that. It's, 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 it's definitely not, not the worst thing that could happen. Um, and it's actually fairly profitable. I mean, my best month, I, I brought in like $40,000 in uh, booking revenue on Toro. So it's definitely uh, some action there. Uh, especially, you know, as we as the season peaks out here in South Florida, uh, like right now, all my cars are booked uh, because there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of tourists in town. Yeah, yeah, especially at yeah, wintertime, fall. It's mm-hmm. probably just picking up here. That's awesome. Well, thanks, man. Lazaro, this has been a, a blast. I could probably talk to you for another hour, but I got I to gotta wrap it up. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you having me, and it was a, it was a pleasure for sure. All right, man. Well, yeah, that's going to conclude this week's edition of Landlording for Life. As always, if you like what you heard here today, feel free to share this episode with your friends and family and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see everybody back next week with another episode. Thanks again. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review and join our Facebook group to share your deals and ideas by searching at Landlording for Life. See you next time. of this podcast are of its host or its guests. They do not reflect the views and opinions of Chicagoland Realty Group Partners or Chicagoland Leasing and Property Management Incorporated. Any advice provided should be reviewed with a financial, tax, or legal professional and should not be considered personal information. This presentation is for educational purposes only and is deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee timeliness or completeness.